part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to John 14.6. And you might say, well, that's where we were last week. You're, you're correct in that because we're going to go back there. Uh, we might actually be there for about two or three or four weeks uh, we began a series last week, and for those that were not here last week, uh, I, I need to give this kind of an asterisk because this sermon series is different from our typical ones. A lot of times we're going to be going through the uh, books of the Bible, and it's what we call expository preaching, where we just kind of start in chapter 1, and we go into that book is finished. And it's really good. I, that's my favorite. I think you know that Sunday morning should be the most plagiarized uh, time in the world that we don't use our own words that we just use the word of God and we just plagiarize we just say this is what God has said and yet this sermon is a little bit different because we're going to be looking at the truths of some you know the foundational truths of the Christian beliefs now why are we doing that number one is because we need to reaffirm that in our own lives throughout Christian history one of the things that we've seen is that even in those early days they would have creeds they would have different things that they would do so they could remind themselves of the truth that is foundational. Because from the very beginning, Christianity was under attack. Everybody was trying to, you know, kind of give their little nuance to it. Okay, this is true, but what if Jesus really wasn't, he was God, but what if he wasn't human? Or he was human, but what if he really wasn't deity? What if he wasn't God? And so from the very beginning, we have this solid truth of this proclamation of the Bible, and yet we have people that are going, okay, here's kind of the nuance that I want to put onto it. And uh, we live in a day and time, guys, where that is more true than ever before, that people want to have their version of, of belief. And you are certainly entitled to that. You really are. And that's one of the things that I hope that we got from last week is that uh, as Christians, and especially for those that are going to be grounded doctrinally into the word of the Bible, we should be the most humble people in the world. This is not for us to go around with clubs and beat people over the head. This is where we just humbly go and go, okay, God revealed this truth to me, and I realize that you have your own beliefs and this, that, and the other, but, but here's where I found truth. And that we should be the purveyors of that truth and that we should go into all the ends of the world making disciples. That we truly should go out and, and teach the, these foundational truths. So this morning we're going to go back to this um, uh, truth that Christ made about himself. He said in John fourteen six, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is not something that we said about Jesus. This isn't something that others who lived during that time said about Jesus. This is a proclamation that Jesus said about himself. And in doing so, he kind of separated himself from every other religious leader because there's not been another religious leader that I know of that has really made the kind of that claim. They've certainly been uh, claims to that they hold truth. You could go back in history and look at the religions of the world. And you would look at somebody like Buddha that said, okay, I, I will show you where truth is. You'll show other people. Uh, or, uh, you know, they'll look at the prophet Muhammad and say, okay, he was a purveyor of truth. But Muhammad didn't claim to be the savior of the world. All these other religious leaders that we would look at really did not make the claim that Christ makes. And he stands alone in that claim. But it's that last part that really kind of catches in the crawl of a current society. A society that says, okay, this is an arrogant thought 
and this is not really a sensitive thought. You don't need to be going out there around people excluding and say that you are the one, uh, you know, purveyor of truth. That flies in the face of kind of our cultural norm that everybody has their own truth. Well, you're entitled to your own truth. You really are. And nothing that I can say is going to change the fact if you feel like, okay, this is what's right for me. I just want you to know that this is the claim that Christ made and that we can either then come into agreement with it or that we can be opposed to it. There is no middle ground here. Christ left no middle ground for debate except that he made the claim that he is the Messiah, he's the only way to the Father. As we begin to look at last week, we begin to see this exclusivity of Christ and how oftentimes that is attacked by the culture that we live in as being mean-spirited, arrogant, just not, you know, that's not kind and generous. And if you weren't here last week, here were our two points. I, I would tell you to go back and listen to the podcast so that you can reaffirm that in your life. Uh, but point number one, Christianity, guys, is not the only belief that claims exclusivity. Every major world religion says this is the way. The Muslims do not go to the Buddhists and say, you know, we believe this, but we also believe that you could be true too. The Hindus do not go, well, the Hindus maybe because they have a million gods. And so they're kind of all-inclusive to everybody. But, but there's no, every one of these have a defined way that they believe is truth and the way to get to a place of eternity. Some of those is a heaven. The Muslims believe in a heaven. They believe in an afterlife. And they believe that there's a one prescribed way that you really get to that afterlife, just like Christians would. We have different beliefs there, but we do, or we're similar in the belief that we believe that there's this life and there's an afterlife. You go to someone like, like the Hindu, or especially the Buddhist, they're actually aiming for a place of non-existence. That nirvana, that the ultimate end of that religion is that you just get to the place of nothingness anymore. Which really can, can, kind of sounds strange. You know, do we really want to work ourselves to a place of kind of almost non-existence. And so we see that every belief that is out there really is kind of exclusive. And yet it's Christians that oftentimes get this kind of label that we're the most arrogant ones. Well, one, I won't say funny because it was kind of sad, but one of the ones I was, I, I love talking with people that have different beliefs. I love just, you know, not debating because I don't like to be a debatable person. I just like conversation with people and I like to see how people's minds think. But I did almost laugh one time when they said, and they were from another country, and they said, you know, one of the reasons I have such a problem with Christianity is, is because you Americans always think that your way is the best way. Think through that statement for a second. As if when we came to America, we established, hey, what do we want to do? Let's, let's think up Christianity. Folks, Christianity is not an American religion, okay? It kind of existed for about 1,600 years before America, as we know it, ever came to existence. And yet, they were trying to say that it was pompous because we as Americans, and I wouldn't even agree with the statement that we as Americans all follow Jesus Christ. I think one of the misnomers is that we're really a Christian nation. I don't know that I could really make that proclamation. I think we were founded on some Christian beliefs, and I think that a lot of our forefathers had some intentions, but they were very clear about separation of church and state. And, and so it really doesn't flow there. Second thing that we looked at last week is that exclusivity is not hateful and arrogant if it is real truth. I will be the first one to tell you that is if, is if Muslim Islamic thinking is true, 
then it is not hateful. If Buddhist thinking, if that's where truth is, and, and they're right in their theology and in their beliefs, then it is not arrogant and it's certainly not hateful for them to say, we have truth here. And in the same way, I don't think that it's hateful or arrogant if we truly believe that Christianity is the way to make right our lives with a holy creator, then it is not arrogant or hateful. In fact, it is probably one of the most loving things that we could ever do. This morning we're going to take on another kind of argument of our current society. And that is, it's, you've probably come up against this before. And basically that is the argument of sincerity. That it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about that. Have you heard that before? That ultimately in the end, you know, in, in the afterlife, that there's a lot of paths to God. And that really the judgment is going to come down, not what path you took, Christian, Muslim, this, that, or the other, but it was the sincerity by which you followed that which was your practice. One of the common thoughts there is, okay, yeah, you may be Christian because you were born in this place and you're raised in a Christian culture, but if you would have been born in India, then maybe you would be Hindu, and that would have been the culture that you grew up in. If you were maybe in more uh, of an Eastern uh, part of the world, that you would be Buddhist. If you were in the Middle East, that maybe you could be Muslim or you could be... And the thought process is there that it's unfair for God to kind of pick and choose people based on where they were born. Again, if we had time, guys, I can disable that in a, in a matter of hours. <laughs> but I can, I, you know, it would, I, I, there's a logical way to go and say, you know, that's just not a correct statement. And yet, here's the thing. When you begin to discuss someone else's sincerity, are those, for the most part, fighting words? One of the things that we hold near and dear to humanity, I'm not saying American way of thought, I'm thinking humanity, is, well, I'm sincere. And we laud that. We put it up there on the throne and we say, okay, it's very important for you to respect my ideas. And you know what I would say to that? You are exactly right. As Christians, I think we should be respectful. You know that the word of God in the New Testament, here they are to go out there and profess Christ, and they knew they were going to come up in conflict, and it says be respectful time and time again. I can point you to verse after verse after verse about you be respectful as you go out. We should be humble and we should be respectful. But that doesn't mean that we have to be in agreement. See, this is where that argument begins to kind of fall apart. That somehow... If I disagree with you on A, B, or C, then I not only am hateful, but that I hate you. We see that in our political arena. If you agree with this, if you're this, and you disagree with me about this, then you're hateful, and you must hate me. Guys, where do we get this logic that somehow, unless we are all harmonious and unified in our thinking that somehow we don't like somebody because they disagree with us. Question. Do you love Jeff Grant? I heard mostly yeses there. Okay. And Rory's right here, so be kind, okay? 
Okay. Do you love the Florida Gators? Okay. So somehow, if we don't like that now, Eastman, you're, you, they're about to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> somehow, because I don't like your football team, you take an affront that somehow I don't like you. And some of you really are such dog fans, you're going, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I can see your line. Do you see how that just isn't really, number one, it's not logical, and it really, truly isn't biblical. But we are to be respectful. 1999 Nobel Peace Prize winner Sharif Basari. Uh, Bussini, I think is how you say that. Uh, All religions lead to God using different paths. Judgment is not by the choice we make, but how we pursue the path of the choice we make. In other words, let me fit in there. Sincerity. It's how sincere you are about it. Different religions and cultures are equal in the eyes of God and should be seen as equal in the eyes of man. This is a very trusted... This is a guy who taught at Harvard Law School. This is a guy that won a Nobel Peace Prize. This guy is the, uh, kind of the father of international law. This guy is highly respected. He has since passed... Uh, He believed this. He truly did believe that inclusion was the answer. One of his big things that he would always say, he said, I'd like to build bridges and point to the similarities between faiths instead of the differences. And he would often quote from the Quran, from the Bible, from the Talmud, different religious works, and he would quote from them, and he lived this out. That really was not only the motto of his life, but when he passed, like he gave $700,000 to uh, Mills on Wheels in Chicago. He said, I, I just believe in helping people. He was one of the nicest guys, they said, that you would ever meet. But look at this statement. Basically, he came down, okay, here's my philosophy. In my respect, in my love, and my care for other people, because I'm a nice person, I don't want to be a confrontational person. And so what I really believe is that all these different paths can end up to a place where God creator is going to affirm people in rightness, not based on their belief, but on the sincerity of how they pursue that belief. Question, church, question. Does that line up with Scripture? Does it kind of sound good? In the world, in the culture, doesn't that sound really nice? I mean, I'm not a confrontational person. I love discussing, and I don't mind taking my side, but I always, I always try to do that with respect. I, but I like kind of debate. I like the challenging of ideas together. And I think you can do that without being offensive. But guys, this is the culture that maybe you've already made declaration in your mind and your heart, adults, But please understand that you're growing up kids in a culture that says, you be you. Is the mantra, you be you, biblical? It really isn't, guys. It isn't. Sounds good. Hey, you tell me as a three-year-old, hey, you be you. I'm all over that. You told me as a 12-year-old, hey, you be you. I'm all over that. In fact, when I was 12, in those kind of middle school years, 
that was my mantra. You know, I'm right. I can see this far outside of my own face. And we all went through it, and it's a difficult time of life, and, and it's us kind of grounding, okay, what are we going to believe for our life? This is where we really have to come down and say, okay, is this true? Is the conclusion valid? Is there a God up in heaven? And I don't know why I'm coming up to the top step that, okay, somehow he's up here in heaven. And he's looking down and and all these paths are coming to God. And it doesn't matter if you're Buddhist. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're Christian. It doesn't matter what it is. As long as you're very sincere about that. You You test truth on the edges. Okay? Not in the comfortable middle. You always test truth on the extremes. If I came up with a religion, religion that said, if you eat frosted flakes every morning, and you do that sincerely, you will go to heaven. How many of you would equate that with a means of salvation? Probably not. You'd go, that's, that's pretty absurd. Our belief in aliens, that somehow you have to believe. I mean, there's been some strange thought, even during our lifetime, of what people have believed with alien thought and all kinds of different things that are out there. Guys, truth number one are kind of dispelling this whole importance of sincerity. Sincerity does not equal truth. You can be sincere about truth, but necessarily sincerity does not equal truth. Would you agree with that statement? I believe that there's been many times in your life that you've been very sincere about something only to find out something else as you grew older and older and older and all of a sudden you don't believe that anymore. It wasn't true, but you sincerely believed that when you were a certain age. Or another example, flat earthers. Again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful there, but again, there have been people that have actually circumvented navigated the whole earth and they didn't fall off. Even if you said, well, that whole NASA thing, it's all done in the back room of a Hollywood studio. Those aren't really pictures of around it. Even if you were of that, you know, mindset, folks, we have had people that sailed all the way around the world and they didn't fall off. Again, I'm not trying to pick on flat earthers. I'm just saying, are there people out there that sincerely believe that? Yeah. But just because you're sincere doesn't mean that it equals truth. Second thing, sincerity is dependent upon the individual. You can can be very sincere about something, and this group over here can be totally sincere about something else that's entirely different. This group right here could say, Star Wars is the best movie series ever. And this group over here could say, no, it was some other genre of movies. And you would be entitled to your sincere belief of what your passions were. Nobody's going to argue that. But do not for a second think that that sincerity equals truth or that just because you're sincere about it, that that should be then collective truth. Remember what we talked about college football last week and who you think is number one? Really one of the most subjective arguments, at least in our nation. Very subjective. Because you have passions, you have background. Well, I went to Oklahoma, you know. 
So that's why I believe Oklahoma, they've been ripped off every year. They should be, you know, be able to... If that's where you're from and you're passionate, you're kind of skewed a little bit. Are you entitled to that? Yes. Does that make you right, necessarily? No. Sincerity is very, very individualistic. It's subjective. You can be blind to truth. And at some point in our life, we all have been. Third thing, sincerity may not address the real problem. This is where we're going to spend the rest of the morning. Just because you're sincere doesn't mean that it addresses the real problem. If you're sick, that is, if you have a physical ailment, you have a choice in this day and time to take a lot of different paths or a, a combination of those paths. Some will be able to say, I go to a medical doctor. They have trained for years and years, and they know kind of the answers, and they do studies, and they do cases. And so if I have ABC disease, I'm going to go to a medical doctor because I think that they have the answer to my problem. You're going to have somebody else that says, well, you know, I really believe in natural healing. And they're going to make up a little concoction of herbs and spices and different things like that. And they're going to think, you know, this really is a... Uh, more than a prescription of a man-made drug, this is really more of a natural way. And there's some truth to that. Then there's going to be others that say, you know, it really is a spiritual battle. And that you just need to pray through this. And there's a truth in that. My mom is one of those, when my dad got cancer, uh, they went to the medical doctors, they went to naturalists, and they were very, very involved in their Catholic church. Mom was there praying all the time. For her, sincerity was very much, I'm going to apply all these different things. I'm looking. I just know that my husband has cancer, and I want healing. And so she appealed herself to, to that, and my dad did also. People of great faith, people who did not want to throw out natural types of healing that have been around for generations, if not eons of time. And they certainly said if all of a sudden there was this new drug that came out that was found to be effective for cancer, they would try that too. The whole thing that when we get into this whole sincerity thing, guys, we need to make sure that sincerity truly is approaching the problem. Sincerity by itself does not cure the sickness just because you're sincere about something didn't make my dad's cancer go away. He actually tried a lot of different things. And he did it sincerely. But it wasn't the measure of his sincerity that brought about healing. One of the first things that we have to do if we're to be logical thinking human beings is say, what is man's real problem? And ultimately, that is the question that the eons of time people have asked. What is man's real problem? This is where our religions have developed. What they identify as the problem, and then what is the answer to this problem? And you're going to get a variety of answers. Some people say that man's problem is can't we just all get along? And that the answer is that we should just be very, very, you know, you, you stick to your own thing and you just be kind and generous and in one way, that sounds really good, but does that really, is that the problem, that we're just not nice enough to one another? 
when we look at the major religions of the world, one of the things that we see is that there really is a commonality in discerning what is man's real problem. The Muslims will tell you that the problem with mankind is whether they call it right out sin, they're going to say that sin is the problem, a disobedience of man. Basically, the Buddhists will do the same thing. The Hindus will do the same thing. All the, the Jewish people will do the same thing. They all have kind of coming back to, hey, what is the real problem of man? That is that we've been disobedient to some kind of a creator. It's there where we begin to splinter off and have different views of what the answer is. If our problem is that we have been disobedient, sinful people to a creator who made us, what is our answer to get right with this creator? This is where we begin to see a lot of different answers. Many of the major religions identify the problem as the same. How do we appease this God. If you go back to some tribal units, they will say you take virgins and you throw them into a fire or a volcano. Not being funny with that at all. There was really, they were sincere. Hey, this is an angry God. This volcano is going to erupt. It's going to kind of take our tribe out. We can lose our lives here. And so to appease this angry God, because we're a rebellious, sinful people, we need to find virgins within the tribe and we need to throw them in the midst of that volcano. You and I would say that's ridiculous. To them, they would say, no, that's what we do, and they would do it sincerely. Uh, somebody else would come along and they would say that to the Muslim, it's sincere obedience to the five pillars of Islam. If you've ever studied Islamic faith, you know that there's five pillars, and they would say that Allah is kind of angry because we are a rebellious people. And they say, okay, in order to appease this angry God and his wrath, then you do these five things. One of those five things is to pray five times a day and to do it very religiously. I promise you, most Islamic people, Muslim people, pray, have a much better prayer life than you do in the sense of just devotion and sincerity. And it comes that time that that bell goes off, they quit what they're doing and they bow down and pray. If sincerity was the answer, guys, they got us beat. Please hear this in the right respect. Please follow the logic. I don't know too many Christians that put bombs on their back and go into a place and, and explode because of they want to kill infidels. And, and yet, is the, in the Islamic faith, is that sincere? You can say that's sincerely wrong, Pastor. Yeah, but is it sincere? Mormons are some of the most Sincere folks I've ever met. Kind, gracious. The answer, guys, may not be in sincerity. It's what are you sincere about? Sincerity does not automatically equal the answer to the problem. And even in the Muslim faith, they take this into account. You know, those five pillars? One of the five pillars is that you would make a journey during your life to their holy land, to Mecca, in parentheses, but only if you're able. In other words, if for some reason you are unable to do that because of money, because of a handicap, because of some kind of thing that would keep you from doing that, then you can still go to heaven. You can still go to the eternal life. 
And so we're going to give you some grace there. What are they saying? This is a condition. If you're able, they're saying, okay, we want sincerity. If you're able and you just didn't go because you didn't want to go, that's going to count against you. If you didn't go because you couldn't go for some reason, you couldn't afford it, well, that's not a problem with sincerity. That was a problem of having money in your bank account. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? That even within these answers to what they would identify as man's real problem, do these five tenets of Islam, we see this factor of sincerity come up. Man, it's, it's how much you believe this. To the Jews, sincere obedience to the law of God. To the Buddhists, nirvana is achieved by sincere discipline and meditation. We see all these different things to the answer of the problem. For those in Christianity, if you are an adherent of Christianity, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are following biblical guidelines and you believe the Bible is God's word, then here's what it says about man's real problem. It says that we're sinners. It said that we have been a disobedient people. It would be in agreement with most of the other major religions. The answer that becomes different at that point is not that we are sinners and that we've been disobedient. It's the answer to that problem. And the Bible gives but one answer. And that is John 14, 6. That's where Jesus Christ comes back and says, okay, there is an angry God. There is a God who has wrath upon disobedience. And yet, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that those who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I said, there is a way. Am I an angry God? Yes, I'm an angry God because I'm a just God. I'm a holy God. And I will have wrath upon disobedience. But because I'm a loving God, And I know that you could never walk that path of total holiness on your own, of of sinless perfection. I will provide a way for you. I will pay, I will provide for you one that will pay for your sin. Since you do not have a righteousness of your own, I will provide for you a righteous one. And in his work, I will make you right. Sincerity, I've got to be really careful how I say this. Sincerity by itself, by itself, is not the answer. If the answer doesn't really answer the real problem. Once you answer the real problem, Christianity, along with every other major world religion, says, now you should be very sincere about your beliefs. And the Bible says that sincerity does have a place, but it's not the component that saves you. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you. When Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except to me, he says, I'm the way. I am the only way. He didn't say I'm the best way. I'm one of the most preferred. I'm in the top three. He makes a proclamation that he is the only way. When he says he's truth, in other words, he's saying by that statement, there will be other people that will say that they are purveyors of truth. I want you to know that I'm making a proclamation. Not only am I the way, but I am the one truth. Others will have purveyors that they give life. He said, I want you to know I'm the one that does truly give life. This bold proclamation of John 14, 6, guys, it 
Everything you believe, everything you believe as a Christian rides on this. Everything. Rises and falls on this. Because if Christ... Here's what C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian writer, and, and this is going to be Bobby's version of it, and I'll mess it up as much as I did last week, Seth, when you and I were talking. But basically, C.S. Lewis, Bobby's version of C.S. Lewis's brilliant statement that uh, if Christ is who he, who he said is, we should be wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly living our life under the direction of, of that teaching. If he is not who he said is, then you're a fool to give even a second thought and a second of obedience to it. But one thing you can't do is stay in the middle. Jesus' claim of exclusivity does not allow you that. You might say, well, I kind of want to straddle the fence. Jesus does not permit you to do that. You can do it. You're entitled to do whatever you want. You have free will. But Christianity doesn't allow you. The claims of Christ does not allow you to do that. He said, here's your problem, and here's how God answered this problem. Let me give you just a few. Guys, uh, Mike, I'm going to run through these. I probably won't hit every one of them because of time. Galatians 3.13. Please when we put these verses there, identify man's problem in these verses and God's answer to man's problem, okay? Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Do you see the problem? The curse of the law. How many of you have been totally obedient to the law of God? I see those non-hands. Nobody's raising their hand because we know we have it. And so the Bible says, okay, there's this curse. There's the wrath of God comes against us. But <laughs> there was one who was willing to actually be this curse for you. Just stand in your place. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore he had, that is, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That is, he was totally human so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's a really fancy theological word that says that Christ paid for your sins. He became payment for you. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. It goes on and on and on. Um, I'm going to skip down to that last one, guys. 2 Corinthians 5.21. There's a whole bunch more, and I could give you 20, 30 more verses just like that. The last one. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What, was, what is our problem, guys? When we stand before a creator... If you believe that there is a creator out there that created you, what is our problem with this creator? Or more correctly, what is the creator's problem with you? Is that we have not been an obedient people. And because God is holy, and because he is just, he has judgment against that sin. Because he is loving, he said, I will provide one for you to take all this wrath. But Bobby, I still think that, you know, as long as you're sincere, and you are entitled, brother, sister, to to believe that, 
But please don't fall for the trap that somehow sincerity equals truth. Don't fall for the trap that somehow sincerity is the, the answer to man's problem. No, man's problem, if we believe biblically, was our own sin and disobedience. And that God will judge. But because he loves you, he provided another way. Almost every other world religion says that you've got to perform you got to do these things. You do these things. You might. You might. One of the things that gives me a heart for Muslim folks is that there's no certainty of the eternal for them, even if they believe their system. Nowhere in their religion really is this line that they step over where they can be say, I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm going to go to heaven. Always working, always working, always wondering, is this enough? See, that should bring sadness to our lives, not judgment. Well, they deserve what they get. No. What if we, did, what if we got what we deserved, guys? This is where that humility comes back. If you have a Muslim neighbor, if you have friends who are Muslim, as long as some of the nicest people I've ever met, have a compassion instead of judgment. Go sit down and talk at their table. Instead of coming to this judgment on them, share with them what, got you, what brought you life. And agree to disagree. But don't think it's arrogant if you truly have found the answer. Please, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, please never fall into this camp of, well, maybe there is just a whole bunch of different ways. It's the most arrogant statement. Let me prove that by this final scripture of how arrogant that is and how offensive that is to a holy God. Matthew chapter 26. To put it in context, this is the last week of Christ's life. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? Matthew 26, and he goes off to pray. And do you remember that prayer of Christ? Look what it says, Matthew 26, verse 38 and 39. Then he said to them, that is, Jesus said to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Luke would say that he sweat drops of blood. The intensity of this moment was so much. Luke was what? What was his vocation? He was a doctor. So Luke picks up, man, this was so intense that it actually caused him to sweat, you know, the, 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 the heaviness of this moment. He's sweating drops of blood. And Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful. Man, I feel like the weight of everything is on this. Now look at verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now what is this cup? is this cup? It's the cup of wrath, God's judgment upon sin. And it was symbolized by this cup. It's not a real cup, as far as I know. (laughs) It's a symbol of God's judgment on man's disobedience. And God's answer for man's disobedience is that he said, holy God, I can't look the other way. 
If somebody did something really, 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 really bad to a family member and the judge says, ah, your case is on a Tuesday, on Tuesdays, everybody gets off scot-free. Would you feel that justice was done? No. Not when it's your family member. They got murdered or raped or whatever. He would go out of that place going, there was no justice whatsoever. We are people that know justice, some similarity to justice. And God's justice, because of our disobedience, is his wrath, his judgment upon it. And, and Christ is to drink this cup. Symbolically, he's going to take all the wrath, all of God's wrath for sin, and he's going to take it upon himself. And Jesus prays. Jesus prays. Is there another way? Is there another way, Father? But not my will, your, your will be done. You might say, well, you know, Bob, is that really what he meant? Look at verse 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. In other words, he prays that same prayer again. God, is there another way? Look down at verse 44. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed how many times? Third time. Saying what? Same words. Gosh, I just think it's arrogant. If we doubt somebody's sincerity, we're not doubting their sincerity. But what we're saying, it's not an arrogance if it's not the answer to the problem. The most arrogant statement on earth is that we would suppose another way when the Father did not give that to his own Son when he prays three times. Is there another way? Is there another way? Is there another way? No, this is the way. And then Christ says, I gladly drink this. I gladly drink this. And he gladly drank that and, and faced the wrath of God because of our sin. How arrogant. How arrogant, guys, for us to ever think that we just can become noncommittal in this when Christ himself gave his life. When Christ under the crucibles of that full humanity and yet the full deity, Father, is there another way that we would come up with a second, third, or fourth way? That we in our audacity would say, well, you know, maybe they all just kind of lead to the same place. Please don't think that much of yourself. Please don't. Please don't. There is one that is worthy. There is yet one that is worthy. And he is Christ Jesus. We're going to close with the same song that we sang last week. In fact, we sang it twice. And uh, about the worthiness of God. And it's based on Revelation 5, 1 through 5. Let me read this. I know we've gone long today. Thank you for your patience. I wish there was a shorter way to do this, but we don't want to be cheap with God's word. Then I saw, and, 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 and Van, you can come up. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within it on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now this is in Revelation. This is the end of time. And, and this is what God showed John the Revelator, John, about what was going to happen in the future. 
And he comes to this place where he sees kind of the future history, the prophecy, what's going to happen one day. And there comes this place where they said, okay, there's these scrolls, and it could be debated about what's going to be on these scrolls, but it's the rest of human history. It's the rest of what happens for the end of time, okay? It's what God's going to do as he was working out God's plan. And nobody can... He says nobody's worthy to open these scrolls. In other words, man, the finality of man and the finality of God's plan are kind of just in this limbo. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? It's a question. Remember last week? It's okay to question. Just be careful how you answer. And so no one in heaven, verse 3, no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. John's going, there is no hope for us. I know the problem. The problem is me. God gave an answer, but I'm not going to see that answer. There's nobody worthy. And then one of the elders comes down and says, oh, there's one that's worthy. There's one that's worthy. And so there will be eternity. There will be these things. There's one that has finished this story for us. And that's what we proclaim as we sing this song. So let's stand together this morning. And just in a prayerful attitude and just, you know, it's good for us to affirm verbally faith, the statements of our faith. And that's why I think I love this song so much. We're just affirming what we believe to be truth this morning. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.